Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Talk. Hello. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Happy Inauguration Day. Happy Inauguration Day. Yay. And happy Book Talk Day. And happy Book Talk Day. More importantly, happy, happy Book Talk obviously. Day. Obviously. Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is a weekly podcast where you read a section of a book and then chat about it. This week we read part two and a lot happened, starting with the extra creepy scene where Alex reads all of Amira's text messages and um, judges her music choices when her phone is charging. We learn about Amira's date and dates with Kelly. Alex tells her quote unquote embarrassing high school story of getting Robbie arrested and her and Kelly's um, first time and their breakup. And then we switch back to Amira, hear about Shawnee getting the promotion and the party, and then back to Alex being obsessed with Amira and setting the stage for what is sure to be a super awkward Thanksgiving dinner. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I, it really is all of my self-control this week to not flip to that next page. That blank page was my saving grace because if there wouldn't have been a blank page, I would have kept reading. I think in maybe a normal world, Kelly would just leave. But I feel like since we're in a fictional world, he's going to stay and it's going to be, especially because Amira is, or Alex is going to be like, oh no, stay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's so cool. Ha ha. Now me and Amira are even closer. We're best friends. Oh God. I mean, I hope that's not what happens, but it feels like it might. Yeah, I do feel like, but what has to happen in order for him to leave, even in the real world, is somebody has to explain that to Amira, who is literally sleeping with the person that her boss lost her virginity to. So that's just extremely cringeworthy. And I, someone's going to have to explain that to Amira. And then whether he leaves or not, we are all still um, scarred by this situation. <laughs> so yikes. Um, but for sure, Alex is going to try to turn this into her and Amira becoming closer friends. She's, she loves her. Before we get into the themes of this section, I wanted to take a step back and talk about the writing style um, of Kylie and hear what your feelings are about it. Um, one of our listeners, Jackie Ryan, texted me when she first started reading uh, this book and said, that Kylie has a really specific writing style. It's definitely minimalist. It's, you know, sometimes goes really, really fast through like years and years. And then in other times goes super slowly and tells us, for example, in this section about this one party where Shawnee had a promotion and Amira is dealing with difficult feelings around that. What are your feelings about Kylie's writing style? I like when authors do that because I think it also offers significance to what parts they're telling you like we need to understand because we don't know Alex and Amira we need to understand parts of them so she does go through Alex's life story and how she got to who she is very quickly but I don't think that that's central to what we're trying to learn in this book but Amira's where she's at in the world as far as her financial situation and, and her friends and her job is like the crux of this book and so I feel like taking time to understand her complicated feelings regarding that helps show that it's a significant part of the story to Kylie, um, which makes me curious about why she spent such a long time talking about that party with Kelly, like the pool party situation, um, because that makes me think Kelly is about to become a much more integral part of this story. 
There's a great contrast between how Kylie writes and how Brian Washington wrote, which Brian Washington was much more like poetic and thought provoking and had more of an essay feel almost. I get the sense from Kylie that this is almost like a screenplay where the scenes are super rich and so fascinating and have so much to them. But what's what is there with these scenes is not in the text. It's in like the discussion of all your girlfriends sitting around telling your most embarrassing story. And then you reveal this kind of huge secret you've been keeping for so long and feel guilty about. Um, and that's sort of what I think of for Kylie Reed's writing style. I love it. I think it's a very different, probably just because we've read the two back to back. I'm like noticing for the contrast. Sure. I will say that for me, I, I guess I like them for different reasons. I definitely like this style better, I think, because I think it's fast for me to read and like understand the story where sometimes Memorial was like a little too, I don't know. I think there's a difference in like writing a poem or something that, that elicits feelings in you, which I do think reading Brian Washington's writing is poetic and it is beautiful. And I love reading his writing, but I think there's more happening in this story and we're getting more of like a full picture and I'm getting to like dive deeper or get lost in the characters lives and thoughts and feelings, which I don't think I did as much in Memorial because the actual, like what was happening was not as, as rich as you said. So I think, yeah, it's cause we're reading them back to back, but I think it's interesting. One thing I wanted to point out that I think, um, I want to know what your thoughts are is her changing the name and not only between the way she spells Alex and Alex. I love when Amira tries to describe that. She's like, it's like, (laughs) I can't. Okay. So Alex, Alex, and then Mrs. Chamberlain. I feel like there's the contrast between who she was in her previous life and being Alex. But I think Kylie also uses Mrs. Chamberlain and Alex differentiate the way that Alex sees herself and the way that the world sees her as like Mrs. Chamberlain. What do you think about that? Getting back to one thing we talked about last week with, you know, how people see you versus how you see yourself. This name difference is also, it's like the representation of that difference. So to Amira, she's Mrs. Chamberlain to herself. She's Alex and to Kelly, she's Alex. And those signify like different aspects of herself and also different like relationships that she has with these right. characters. I think it's cool that she can do that just by changing her name. I also read that section where it was Alex and you're like, wait, who is this? And then you realize like, oh, it's her. It's Alex. Okay. As soon as they told the story when she was on the plane and she set her luggage down and then looked around for someone to pick it up. I was like, that's our girl. That's Alex. <laughs> like, Ew. <laughs> Different levels of social class and like class consciousness or awareness is also a theme in this section. We learn that Alex, her family came into a lot of money. They had a maid. Uh, Fascinating. And yeah, the scene with her on the plane, she clearly, and then, you know, there's all this awkwardness between Alex and Amira where Alex is trying to hide how much money she has. She's like clearly not aware of how much things cost. And that's definitely brought into contrast with Amira who, uh, you know, can't afford to take this amazing opportunity to live in Shawnee's apartment because she can't afford it. And she's really like, that's top of mind for her. I can understand if I didn't know how much kids clothes cost because I don't have kids. She has a child. So she's just so out of touch with having to even think about 
how much money she has in her account at any given time. That is a that is another level of wealthy. And I think it's so interesting because Alex just wants to be she just wants Amira to like her. And the things that she tries to fix to get Amira to like her are is interesting. She never wants to talk about the amount of money she spent or how much things cost. And Amira is just like, I don't understand why you're trying to like explain to me or pretend that you're thriftier than you are. And you can clearly afford to do whatever you want. Like you're paying me a ton of money to watch your kids. So like, why are you trying to relate to me by pretending that you're poor? I feel like Amira would be much happier if Alex was like, yeah, I bought you this nice wine because I'm rich. Do you want to drink a glass? And Amira would be like, yes. The other thing I wanted to say also is I was talking to someone who I will not name uh, recently and we were talking about auto pay for your bills and how like they at this time don't have the luxury to turn on auto pay because it's like you don't know when that's going to overdraft your account and that is just one of those things it's like unless you've been at that level you don't understand but if you have been at that level you un you get it exactly it's like oh of course yeah you can't turn auto pay on because that $60 gas bill is going to hit you out of nowhere, overdraft your bank account, and then you can't pay it for, you know, another three days or you have to pick up another shift. You get a $35 exactly. charge. Now you're down $95. Now how do you make that up? Right. Instead of just waiting, you know, all the grace periods in your head. Alex clearly doesn't have that moment where she can remember that. And so she cannot relate in any way to Amira, which makes it feel very fake. I think what Alex has fallen into is like the poverty equals good person uh, idea, which is obviously just not true. Like I I think poverty makes you a miserable person. It's like, it just does. I mean, it's like there's psychological research about how mentally taxing it is to be poor. And I don't think that growing up poor or having times of your life where you didn't have enough to make ends meet, I don't think that it makes you a better person, but I do think it gives you a different perspective. And that's what Alex doesn't have. She doesn't understand what it would be like to be Amira. Um, you know, even at, at some level, Amira's friends don't really understand the situation that she's in. But when you have been poor, you understand that you're one lost job away from losing your apartment. You're one bad accident away from, you know, it all being taken away. And once you realize that, it allows you to take the perspective of other people, even when you have money. But I don't think Alex has that. No, I think that's the point. She doesn't have that perspective. She's never been there. So she's not able to see like Amira doesn't want you to pretend to be as poor as she is. Amira doesn't want you to be poor. That doesn't help her. Also, she'd lose her job one, but two, like that doesn't make her like you. And also like, if you don't, if you are poor or you don't have the money to pay for things, you don't want to like bring people to that level. Like you just want them to give you the nice wine. Like what is this? It's just so weird. What are your thoughts about Alex's relentless pursuit of Amira to be her friend? I think Alex is um, pretty obsessed with Amira. I think it's interesting because on some level I can empathize with Alex thinking that someone like she thinks Amira is interesting. I think on some level she wants to get to know her. She wants to know her story. She wants to know like how she takes her coffee and if she likes waking up early or whatever, which are all things I feel like you wonder about someone that you a have a crush on and B may just be like innocently interested in, but because of the power dynamic between Alex and Amira, like that friendship is not probably not going to naturally happen for Alex. And I, I just don't think that she gets that 
Amira kind of has to stay and have that glass of wine. She has to say yes because this is a power dynamic with her and her boss. Um, and I think I feel like I empathize with Alex because it, it does suck when you meet someone like that and you're interested, but you just, because of whatever circumstance, you don't get to get to know them and be their friend or be in their life. But that's where we're at here. Amira is not going to be her saving grace for her being cool in Philadelphia or being who she was before or having a best friend or being as close with her nanny as her friends are with theirs because they're Alex and Amira and that's just not their relationship. I don't know. What do you think about her clear cut crush on Amira? presidential things are like top of my mind right now but it reminds me of you know there's been a lot of discussion of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky and their relationship and could she be a consenting participant of that relationship given the power dynamics and so we do talk about like power dynamics and romantic relationships but we don't really talk about it in friendships like can you really be friends with your boss when they control your money flow and what does it mean to have, you know, I deal with this. Both of my advisors text me and call me. And it's like, what does that mean? We're not friends. You know, we're, I mean, we are, but how can that exist within this power relationship where you have so much control and I owe things to you? You know, that just changes the whole situation. I don't think it's like always black and white like that, but I think there is always this kind of power dynamic. I also think it depends on like how big of a company and like what you're doing. Um, I think people who are like both at, let's say if two high ranking executives are friends who have like completely different, maybe one is over them, but they're both like high level, like maybe, um, because you're, it's a different level of security than like you're a server and your boss is the manager. Like someone's not managing your day to day. I don't know. It's still always because they do expect things from you, but I think I've definitely been friends with my bosses before and I do think that that is like a very rare situation though. And also depends on both people being able to, when that has happened for me and it has worked out and I have been friends with them, it is because both of us are honest and open and communicative and honest about like every part of the job side of it. So I don't feel like I would know if I wasn't doing a good job or I would, I know that I'm valued at all times, if that makes sense. Like, I think, I don't think that's the case with Alex and Amira, but I, I think it's a very rare thing to be able to have that dynamic. Yeah, it's also obviously like it sort of applies in this situation, but mostly doesn't because Amira just full on does not want to be friends with Alex. So it's like if they were different people and if Amira like really was as interested in Alex as a person and wanted to get to know her as well, I think they could figure out the work dynamics. I guess that's what I'm really trying to say. I think if first and foremost you are, you can be friends and you can figure out work, I think two humans could do that. I, I think Amira is just like, I don't like her as a person. We have nothing in common. She doesn't treat her daughter like I would treat my daughter. She's not the kind of person I want to hang out with. She's a completely different life than mine. Um, so I, but I do think the friendship power dynamic is interesting. Another theme that we, I think has existed like throughout the book is uh, microaggressions and Amira just basically constantly having to deal with, um, with their friendship, I think almost like assuaging Alex's like guilt about the story we learned about Robbie and showing that like, I, yeah, like you said last week, I'm anti-racist and I'm cool and like we can hang out. Um, but one, one place where that comes up is when Kelly's telling her the story and he 
is quoting someone but uses the n-word right like is that a microaggression or are we just full-on being like violent at that point if you're like using that in front of someone oh i don't know i think at this point in 2021 we are like never ever ever is it okay i don't care if it's a quote or a song or what it's the impact right it's like Amira just being put into that uncomfortable situation where she feels uncomfortable. She's thinking about it later. He's not thinking about it. He thinks it's totally okay. And I was shocked that, you know, he has a bunch of black male friends and he thinks it's okay to say this to her. Again, I feel like you're just putting her in the position of having to think about like, what does that mean for who he is as a person? Why would he say that in front of me? I, I didn't like Kelly to begin with, but after that comment, this, Reminds me of a section of Big Friendship, which I just read about interracial friendships and how there's always this like trap door in interracial friendships when it's like, when is my white friend going to say something offensive to me? You know, when is it going to come that I'm going to be put in an uncomfortable situation where I'm reminded that they have these racist thoughts or they, you know, are steeped in this white supremacist culture or whatever. And I imagine that's like can be even harder potentially in romantic relationships. Um, And that's kind of what we're seeing here is like Amira is being like subjected to like constant microaggressions by these people in her lives. And I think even what Alex is doing is just as offensive of being like, you are my friend now I'm making you my friend because I think you're cool because I think you're this, because I think you're going to show how diverse I am and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, I'm a person. You know, I don't know. It's just, oh, it was painful. It's so interesting because it makes me sad. I feel like Amira can't even fully get what she deserves out of a relationship because she has to put up with shit like this from people like Kelly. And she's like, looks at him and is clearly attracted to him. And then she's like, oh, I guess I'll just let him get get away with this too. I'm not going to bring it up or argue about it because then I won't get what I want out of this situation or then I have to deal with that or then I don't have him at all. And so she's just like, well, I guess instead of having everything that I want, I'll just put up with that. And, you know, we'll go home. And I feel like having to let go things that are crucial like that to you is, is like not good in a relationship. Yeah. We see that impulse in her, even with the story at the grocery store, like she's like, I don't want to make a big deal about it. I don't want to deal with it. Like, I don't want to have to explain why that was a microaggression. I don't want or a macroaggression in that case. Cause she's like calling the security on her. And it's like, she's just like, let me live. I don't want to like have to deal with this. And I, totally don't think she should have to. I think she's just like, I'm tired and I don't have to explain to these people why this is offensive. I just want to like move on and hope for the best, which is upsetting for her. Next week, we're reading part three of Such a Fun Age. I can't wait. One thing that someone asked is if we could announce the next book sooner so that people have more time to get the book, to get it from their library, or to pick up a copy. So maybe next week we can pick our book for next time. That's a good idea. Okay, we'll do that. Okay, See? let's do that. We're, we're accepting feedback. The DMs are open. <laughs> At booktalk underscore podcast. Just tell us what you want. But don't get crazy. <laughs> maybe get crazy. <laughs>
talk, talk, talk. That was like a little birdie. Talk, talk. Okay, hi. Happy um, first woman was sworn in as vice president day. Yay. Yay. We love it. Did you watch it? I did. Yeah, I'm in um, California. So it actually was like really nice because I got to watch it and then start my work day. I thought it was sweet. I think the poet was amazing. I also watched her Instagram count um, go up from 400,000 to 900,000 in an hour. <laughs> so like good for her. I hope she gets. Wait, what's her name? Amanda Gorman. I hope she gets all of the money and recognition and deals and all the poetry books she wants to write in her whole life. She was great and it was amazing. I also feel like you could, one thing I noticed was just watching it, you can just like see the diversity that is going to make up this administration, which is great. So that's exciting. We love, yeah, I think I'm having complicated feelings about it. Obviously like Biden was not my first choice for nominee, kind of like, yay, but also like, and you know yesterday we passed 400,000 people who have died from COVID in the U.S. and it's just just a tragedy I'm just so really sad about it I do think it's important to celebrate the small joys that happen because change happens slowly and if you don't like obviously why did it take us as long to elect a woman to a national office but also and we can like be mad about that and also celebrate that it happened if that makes sense and I think it's totally okay to be like this is atrocious that these deaths have happened and it's unacceptable and like I I don't even have any words to describe that but hopefully with somebody in the office and again there's so much there's so much like conflicting emotions about it, but hopefully now at least it's a step in the direction we need to go whereas like the other option was Trump, which like, um, not the other option, but like at the end of the day. Yeah. And so far, like everything has been peaceful, which is all I can ask for. Makes me happy. This time four years ago, I was in DC for the Women's March, which would have mm -hmm. been tomorrow. It's so funny. It's like, I thought I was like super engaged before. And then it's like, oh my God, in the past four years, like I've never watched a presidential inauguration before. I, yes, also that. I feel like I was never engaged. You were engaged. I was not engaged in politics um, at all. And I feel like in the last four years, that has completely changed. I mean, like what I would have hated before, like a political person, <laughs> but like, like I know Who what's going to Iowa on. For the caucuses. I did go to Iowa for the caucuses and I thought it was so cool. Like, who am I? <laughs> but it is interesting. I feel like, yeah, I've never watched a presidential inauguration. I never watched a concession speech until Hillary's. And then I, like, yeah, had never watched an inauguration. I was like, well, this is quite a nice event. Look at this whole thing we've put together. <laughs> I love this Lady Gaga concert. Oh, Lady Gaga was good. J Lo and then um, Garth Brooks, which felt a little like a weird third wheel. <laughs> And then he was like, everybody sing. And I was like, don't sing. It spreads COVID. <laughs> Jason was like, why? He texted me. No response to the whole inauguration. Then he was like, that guy's real handsy. Why is he hugging everyone? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's true. Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week.
Also impressed at her ability to hold that giant ass Bible up for the whole time. I was like, that is huge. You're going to hand that the to her? The biggest Bible She's I've like ever seen. She's like sweating. <laughs> I've seen, Bi- I've held many a Bible. I'm like, how, how large is the print? Is it one letter per page? Like what is the size of this I, thing? Yeah, amazing. Maybe there are pictures. 